0: Welcome to a higher future in healthcare, where we're exploring obstacles and solutions to healthcare's growing workforce demands. Tune in to hear from thought leaders as they share their perspectives on strategy, technology, AI, and people who are paving the way for transformative change. It, this would be an interesting conversation to have because I mean, Dave, kind of, you know, former admin. Uh, across many organizations, Michael, with what you're doing, you know, with the rural clinics and things, you know, I imagine maybe this probably comes up quite a bit as you guys grow.
1: I mean, my view was Michael, you know, your background, HR and, and so on will be, this will kind of be, you kind of being the the thought technical expert on all the challenges, not just in rural, by the way, be, I mean, this is as big sure. of an issue in an academic center in downtown, you know, any downtown urban area as it is in rural, so, yeah. and I could just kind of add some color commentary from a general executive viewpoint, whatever, but this is much more in your sweet spot, recruitment, all the challenges there right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think some of the things, you know, when we're talking about growing employees and, and how to do that and how that is just essential to the workforce, I actually think about not as much what I'm doing right now, although it will end up translating there. We're just at, at a little bit earlier stage, mm-hmm. but actually my last organization, um, Physicians Immediate Care and, and how COVID affected us so much because mm-hmm. it, you know, when COVID first hit, it was, you know, all hands on deck. And then eventually there was, there was a big wave of, of, Labor that just sort of left the market for for various reasons. And so it was really interesting to see how how that affected us, because if you look at and and we were right at the tip of this sp- tip of the sphere, we're urgent care. So you know we're we're seeing more patients than you could imagine. And for us, it's, the, the position that we were really losing was our, our rad techs, those who were shooting x-rays and extremely important to see what was going on doing all these chest yeah. x-rays and everything, but yeah. they had an opportunity to go back and go into the hospitals and become CT techs and MR techs and, you know, and, and the like. And I don't have, I didn't have that growth opportunity for them. So interestingly, what I did is I, pushed my team and I had a really large training team to dig in more and to be able to create learning opportunities to train medical assistants and create them into actually rad techs, limited uh, rad techs. We uh. turned that into actually a DE&I program without labeling it as one Right, but right. to but but to turn someone who was making you know twenty dollars an hour, eighteen dollars an hour, into someone who was making eighty five thousand dollars an hour, so that was really how we did a lot of our training. Wow, I, I, internally solving our yeah. own problems, um, and and the community's problems at the same time.
1: Yeah, you think about you know the we, we've all overheard the last six twelve months this whole issue of you know virtual work, and no one's returning to the workplace in in general industry, right, in the general community, and that maybe COVID accelerated what was going to happen anyway, or maybe it didn't, but it it recalibrated the world, you know, as we know it, no one's going to ever go back to a five-day work week in a cubicle in an office anymore. So what's what's the caregiver, healthcare caregiver analogy for that? did covid you know did covid mm-hmm. like what you're getting at michael did covid accelerate what was possibly going to happen for caregivers in a traditional model that they were already burning out anyway they were already dissatisfied things were going to change but it just all accelerated and now we have to figure out how do we adjust the caregiver work life model nurses Rad te- radiology techs, like you're saying, or, or anybody, mm-hmm. who, you know, what's the, what's their new world? What's the world going to be? How do we figure that out? How do, you know, and, and so on, right? Because that's what, that's what the bankers are figuring out or all these other industries right now where people don't want to return to a nine to five cubicle Monday through Friday anymore, right? Right.
2: Now. And, and I think the first wave that we saw was how much, how much can we move to telehealth? How how much do I not actually need to see a patient in, you know, in the office at all? And I can, I can just do it through, you know, through Zoom or, or, or whatever. And I think pretty quickly we learned that that doesn't work. It it, it doesn't work for, you know, for a lot of things. It's fine for some. And for some it's, it's, you know, that, that just isn't, uh, you know, it's too impersonal. Um, And, you know, the the physical touch is just necessary within healthcare. Uh,
1: But how do we find then, how do we retain and how do we recruit workers staff who are of the mindset, they don't want to go into a clinic for a 10 hour shift and have this grind of, you know, patients in the waiting room waiting to be roomed waiting then to be seen waiting to be discharged and do that for a 30-year career and they watched how taxing and burdensome that is to other peers or their older the older generation whatever it might be and they're coming into this saying i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. boy uh you know so how how do we start finding those workers how do we match them up with our opportunities and how do we change our, our jobs as well? Well, so that I don't I, well. yeah.
2: I was going to say. I think. I, I think it's a. It, there's two focuses there, and I think that's exactly it. One is you clearly have to find someone who's who's mission driven, who who isn't going to see taking care of patients as a grind day in and day out, and and the second part is you have to make taking care of patients not a grind day in and day out, right? Um, and Part of that, you know, if you're on the primary care side is, you know, a patient visit is not a 10 minute patient visit Um, because as as, as soon as you're doing that, then that is what turns it into a grind. And that is what, you know, degrades care for patients. And so we have to look at this much more holistically, not just from, you know, one side of the coin and say, what's going to be driving a free, a fee for service value, but that's also going to be, you know, burning out your staff it's it's not good for your patients and it's just not long-term sustainable so how do like you're asking dave how do we create a different model um you know spend more time with our patients actually get to know your patients
1: yeah um, yeah although at some point or another i mean i i think about myself you know walking around the hospital floors and Watching the work world of nurses and patient care techs, particularly on a nursing unit, um, and how physical that job is, Mm -hmm. how taxing it is clinically and emotionally for them, along with obviously that physical piece and i and you know and, and nurses who may start their career in their early 20s you know by the time they're 40 or 50 after doing it 20 or 30 years just their own aging let alone you know the burnout factor or, or the repetitive burnout factor i, I mean Can you expect a 50-year-old nurse who's been in career 20 or 30 years to be willing to work on a nursing floor anymore? And now the shifts have gone from eight hours a day to 10 or 12 hours. 12
2: hours a day, right? No, it's it's a it's a great question.
1: And we haven't radically, you know, yeah, we've created you know more breaks. We've tried to, we've created, we used to call it. course i lived in seattle at the time so it's only kind of a it's it's a typical west coast thing but we created as we rebuilt our hospital we created dedicated rooms in each um unit called the zen den (laughs) Mm. (laughs) for the nurses and the staff to go decompress for a little bit of time to recharge right when needed uh and so on i mean yeah we've created those things but we hadn't you know we've danced around the edges of the job yeah the job is still very physical, very taxing, very challenging. How do we, how do we work on that? Like you're saying, Michael, how do we change it's a, that?
2: It's a great question. I wish I had the answers to that. One. Yeah.
0: So what I was going to ask around that, then, so because Dave, that seems like a band aid, right? Like, oh well, we're physically we're going to come up with band aid solutions to this. But um, to your point, like, and in, and. In, to address that piece of it. It sounds like what you both are saying is, you know, how do we address that in the recruitment process? Um, How do we, and is any of this happening now where we're thinking, you know, let's say someone's coming in as a nurse and they're 25 years old and yeah, they're going to be here till they're 50 plus. Is that even, do we even think about that in the recruitment process that, 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 that fact, uh, or is that something now that's becoming part of the thought process because of COVID? I, I think Dave was saying that's not that's not even uh, sustainable. Well, but I mean, what I'm asking <laughs> is like, to, to think ahead and to say, cause yeah, totally. it's, a, it's, a, it's It's a young kid's job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but are I think we, are How we I thinking would... about that from the beginning is what yeah. I'm asking, you know, like, like, okay, they're coming in as a young kid, but now for this person, are we even thinking ahead to when they're fifty and they can't do this young kid's job anymore? Right. W- what's next for them? How do we build in a journey? Because uh, yeah, we're talking about reskilling right. Yeah, you be. Right. That's
1: where I would go. It's I think right. the macro viewpoint is how do you build a career track so yeah. that when someone joins as a young clinician, nurses, PCT, whatever the role, my patient care tech, whatever the role right. is. That there's a recognition that, you know, not only are their interests going to change over time uh, due to the repetitiveness nature of it, but also even the physicality of their work. And how do you build a career track so that if you can recruit a nurse at 25 years old out of, you know, whatever training program and you and they want to retire with you at 60 years old, that it's not all going to be four 12-hour shifts yeah. a week on a nursing floor. That, Correct. You know, the beginning of it may be like that, right? And then at some point, it's going to evolve to have other types of intellectual challenges other than just the physical nature of nursing. And then right. maybe there's care management or utilization review right, right. or clinical quality or all the different other roles. I, and I'm just picking on nurses here as an example of a track that can evolve and you but you build that in a front and then how do you recruit yeah. knowing that that's the fit right that but but I, I
2: but but you know to, to pick on nurses and i will to go back even further and i remember this 15 years ago there was an article like why can't we hire good nurse managers and it's that they're not trained to be nurse managers mm-hmm. in in school this is not they're they're trained to be nurses not right. managers so this this becomes the you know the challenge of administration and hr to put leadership training in place to grow your your young nurses into nurse leaders and exactly what dave was talking about into other other clinical areas because it's not sustainable to work a twelve-hour shift and to move patients around when yeah. you're in your fifties. This is, you know, I, I'm in my fifties and and you know I get out of bed and go, Ugh, you know, and <laughs> and, and, exactly. and I'm not getting someone else out of bed. I'm just getting myself yeah. out of bed. Yeah. Wait, so wait, you know, by the way,
1: Michael, wait till you turn sixty.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. Yeah.
2: So right. So these are the things that, that I think we're we're talking about. Or what are these, you know, clinical paths, or you know, when someone got into nursing, it sounded like I can do this forever, but what does forever mean? You have to be able to move into something, whether that's leadership for some, a different clinical path for others, moving into an outpatient setting, or, you know, as Dave was even, you know, talking about, if you're looking at a PCT job you know, does that mean you move into now you get additional skills and now you're a medical assistant on the outside, something along those lines, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, I mean, the, the comprehensive holistic view is, as we recruit young talent into our organization, we want to find a match for them wanting to stay with us their entire career. But our Commitment back is we will let your career evolve with us so that it's not 35 years of exactly the same job as you started yeah. with us. Yeah. It's going to evolve over time, partly based on your interests and your capabilities, along with the organization's needs, along with where healthcare is going to go. Because 35, I couldn't predict what 35 years from now is going to look like in healthcare yeah. from a workforce viewpoint right it's and then how do we match that with people who want to do that yeah and
2: i was just about to say for some people that sounds great and for other people it's not because the conversation is going to be show me exactly what my career path is going to look like and and my answer is i can't because because it's it's going to be dependent upon you and whatever you want to do and certain people are going to be like oh that's great or no i want to know what my next step is and when when that's going to happen and exactly where i'm going to go but i think we're talking about a little bit more flexibility in putting it in the hands of the employees to say i'll i'll go wherever just you know give me you know give me the time and and you know i'll go there and i think that's a really exciting that, way to look at it
0: that could also be um I, I would say if the pandemic taught us anything, it's it's that it's not necessarily just reliant on the person, though. It's it's also reliant on the market forces, the situation that's occurring at the time, right? Because Correct. to your point, Michael, when you were talking about reskilling assistants to be techs now, that was almost out of necessity because mm-hmm. of the shortage. And so what was that? conversation like so when you when when you all talked, you know, to to assistants and said, hey, we have an opportunity. It's what, what did that conversation look like?
2: Yeah. and And I think it's again, it sort of goes back before, because we had already created an environment in which we were a learning organization yeah. where we had already trained medical receptionists to become medical assistants. So this was part of the organizational DNA that you could come into this this company and grow. And so those people who were willing to raise their hand, we were like, great. So this was just that, but more. They're like, oh my gosh, a, a licensed position. And it was somewhat dormant. And so we were also working with the state to get educational positions alive again. Um, from the yeah. state and the licensing going again. so it was it was pretty big. And so people were really excited about it. Um, but because they already had faith that we were going to do it for them. Um, and right. so I think that that was part of it, is that it wasn't just like this high in the sky kind of thing that we were doing, even though it sort of was for us because it uh-huh. it grew out of like a problem that we had. and we're like, okay, well, what do we do to solve this problem? Well, throw it ourselves i don't know (laughs) yeah (laughs) like yeah okay but but they were on board with it because of that and that's that's how it happened.
1: but michael where does the you know i again as as more of a general administrative type me uh, you know i always look to how do you orchest organize and orchestrate the teams to work on things Mm -hmm. and i so the challenge is to you is this an HR function or is it the clinical manager's function of the area? And how do you, who who takes lead, who drives it? How do you do it as an organization? Because you need to do it in scale, not in any one particular area. And and I think that
2: was what was great about our last organization was how in alignment we were because there were really three entities that were driving this. And it was the clinical, clinical operations, training was sort of that mediator, and then HR. So um, training reported to me and we were all sort of, you know, sitting in the room and saying, how do we do this? They had the problem. And I see my role as, as HR is to say, how can I, how can I drive outcomes from my seat being HR. And part of that is I have this big training department and I can leverage those resources to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And so it was like we're yeah. all just we're all just going to be, you know, pushing to the same goal here. Very, very simple. Right. But yes, they were I mean ultimately this is not an HR initiative at all. This is this is an operational initiative that HR was a hundred percent behind because we understood yeah. what it took from training.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, I I mean, that's where my mind was going too, that ultimately you need the manager, whatever the right title is, but the person who is the leader over an operating unit, the x-ray department, the, you know, eighth floor ortho nursing department, the um, ER, the, you know, pick your favorite department, Mm. and and I'm leaning on clinical ones. You need that, the, the leader of that area to recognize their ecosystem is changing and evolving and they've got to adjust but you don't want them to invent the way they do it themselves they won't necessarily know how to and i don't mean any disparaging way but that's not what they're right and they need someone to provide them technical kind of a horizontal and a vertical right they run the vertical Mm -hmm. but who's running the horizontal of that function to equip them with the tools, technology and otherwise, so intellectual and otherwise, frankly, so that they can be better at running their vertical and not have to invent it themselves, right? right? How do you do it, that? And is that HR's job and training's job, you know, but then they deploy it. I, it's, it'd be interesting to understand that. And, yeah.
0: and secondarily to that, to add to that, a part B, what are specifically some of the tools and technology that you've seen, heard about, or used that, that made that successful?
2: Yeah, I think, honestly, from a technology standpoint,
0: um,
2: we were not, this was not really a technology push as, mm-hmm. as much as it, you know, as much as anything else, because this was, there was a lot of classroom learning like, hmm. just because you had to sit for an exam, it wasn't something that you could just roll out a technology and do a lot of online learning. You had to be sitting, you know, in front of an x-ray machine and, you know, Perfect. taking x-rays. So, um, but I think what really made it work was sort of what I was talking about before, and that is that alignment. You know, a lot of project planning, but making sure everyone was on the same page. Um, our training team... Our training team grew out of the clinic operations itself. Hmm. And so because they understood what it was like to work in the clinics, they had the street cred right away. And so they could actually, in addition to Dave, what you were talking about of sort of the the manager drafting the people and and, and getting them on board, the the training team itself was able to do that as well and sort of tap someone and say, Hey, I think you'd be great for this, right. um, and and so it was very much of a of a cohesive approach to it, um, and so I think that also allowed people who may have been a little tentative to take the leap and say, you know, I I feel like there's a lot of a, a lot of safety around me to do this because my manager's saying it, my my trainer is saying to do this, you know, HR came up and said hey, we got you. I think this would be something great for you. And, and, and that allowed people to, to go ahead and do it. And that was amazing for
1: us. Yeah, just think if you had, in addition, how, how do you again do that in scale? Do you What type of information do you need to know about your workforce yeah. so that you know who to tap and who yeah. likely is going to be successful at it or not successful at it or interested to begin with? or not you know that type of so, thing
2: so interestingly we were doing this at scale we were doing this across 60 clinics
1: yeah wow. Oh, wow so yeah
2: i ironically the one thing i didn't have i i wish i did was a better a, a better pulse on my employee population i you know i use some great tools on the hiring side yeah. Um and on the management side, I am a I'm a big fan of predictive index. So we use that for hiring yeah. and for management. Yeah. Um I didn't have a tool on the sort of HRIS side that would give me predictive analytics on my employee population, but this is where I would default because I had a great HR team in the field. Yeah. So that would that that would balance that out. But I didn't have a You know like a great hr dashboard electronic dashboard that i could pull up that would say like oh you know clinic you know 102 is on fire or something like that
0: so so how did i I guess to put a fine point on on that conversation around recruiting how did what you all were doing impact your recruiting efforts like what what did it do to inform and maybe dave this is more of what you're getting at but What, how did it inform that recruiting process specifically and, and did it change anything for you and your HR team? Yeah, definitely.
2: So I I think with our recruiting, particularly with predictive index, it, you know, we identified job specific profiles and our retention was double what the industry standard was when we really honed our, our recruiting. Mm -hmm. um and so i was there for about five years and so you know i had a really good run of being able to see that that change over that time period and so being able to identify and this bringing it really sort of full circle to where where we started those people who are mission driven um and say this is where i want to work this is this is the industry in which i want to work and being able to create that environment in which it doesn't feel like you're just being beaten up day in and day out where you can throw other kinds of activities into their job. And that's what we tried to do. So, mm. um, but h- hiring better at that front end was, was clearly key. Yeah. You know, our t- right. again, the retention and turnover double, you know, double the retention, half the turnover of, of what our, our industry was, was, was the key there.
1: Mm. Yeah. It just seems like the more, you know about your team and the earlier on, you know, it, the, you know, the more, the more comprehensive you can be about fitting your, know, your analytics side, Michael, what you were getting at, right. How do you then mm-hmm. start matching with people, what their needs and developments going to be, their careers are going to evolve to where they want to take risk, where they don't want to take risk mutually back to the organization the same thing right exactly yeah
0: well i think uh this is this is we almost laid out a playbook almost uh for how to approach this and i i i think it's it's a great um, spot to sort of maybe end this conversation but i want to continue it in a follow-up blog talking about sort of the future of healthcare workforce development you know what how can we how can we look ahead 25 years into somebody's future um, and pair that with uh, opportunities, cross-training, reskilling, you know, but aligning not only to their passions and mission, but then aligning that to the organization's mission, to your point, Michael. It sounds like that's sort of the differentiator, is that you got to have someone who aligns to the organization in in more ways than one, um, not just that they meet the, the skills necessary for the role. It's got to be much more than that if this is going to work, which is probably why it, we haven't seen many instances of this working uh, across the industry, because I feel like most hiring is just reactive, right? Like we need help and we're just going to hire temp people or whatever it is because we need it. And as opposed to looking at the long-term. So, um, I say we continue that conversation in a follow-up blog. Any last thoughts on this on this conversation,
1: Dave? You know, I, I think what you just said, but I, I wouldn't necessarily label it only reactive. I think it's short-term, mm-hmm. right, versus long-term. We, we hire to fill an immediate need. Healthcare, unfortunately, does not think three years out, five years out, 10 years out, whatever. We've never had that ability because it recalibrates and changes so quickly and there's this pressure constantly there and you know at some point or another that's such a disadvantage compared to thinking more longer term and matching Mm -hmm. individuals with organizations where they can have your whole you know have our our billboard on the freeway shouldn't be you know come work for us as a nurse and you'll make you know you'll we'll give you an extra day off a month it should be (laughs) come work for spend your whole career with us we will look out, we will help you navigate your whole career. We will find, we we want you to be a fit for our organization forever, right? So to speak, right? How do you think that way? Longitudinally, not just transactionally.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I don't know, Michael. Now that's again, a a non-HR guy who always gets to tamper in the HR world. What do you you really think about it?
2: Yeah, no, I think um, it's funny because in, I made a decision to leave health systems a while ago. And the last two companies that I've worked at, ironically, one of them being DE backed, this one being VC backed. Um, so you'd think that the focus may even be more on fill the positions, get the, get the numbers, let's see the results in those two organizations the focus has been more on quality of hire fit with mission than in any of the hospitals that i've ever worked in
0: hmm.
2: so i don't know if that's ironic hmm. or if that's just a a true shift and and i think even more so in the organization i'm with now because we're we're value based care and so it is very much so. And and you know, I'm I don't really do much recruitment unless we're talking about our, our physicians and physician leaders. And there the conversations are if you're not a fit, you could be the best provider in the world. But if you're looking for a fee-for-service kind of environment, um, I this is not going to be the role for you. So um I'm hoping that that is, you know, a bellwether, that that's where we're moving. Um, And that it's not just that I, it's those two organizations, but it's that those are more recent. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great point. I hope you're right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for the conversation. This was awesome. Look for more conversations like this um, with our team. And as always, thank you all for listening. Check you later. Take care. A Higher Future in Healthcare is a production of IIA Healthcare, a healthcare technology company and creators of Interview IA, an interview platform for healthcare organizations to streamline their interview processes to deliver unparalleled candidate experiences and to create a true competitive advantage for delivering quality care. Learn more at www.iiahealthcare.com.